0: Hey, I'm Wyatt Welch, and you're listening to Echo Talk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this bonus episode of Echo Talk. This is part two of It's You, It's Me, It's Us, the love story from Bly Manor. So if you have not already checked out episode one, make sure to go do that because there will be spoilers here it helps set up the story much better again this will be a longer episode just because there is so much that I try to fit into this episode uh, one thing also that I think might be helpful with going on into the story is au pair it's like a nanny basically so I just wanted to throw that out there because I know some of you may be like what is an au pair but yeah anyways let's get into the love story of Bly Manor part two Miss Rebecca Jessel found herself as she walked the grounds of Bly Manor for the first time, wishing that she might never leave. And it turned out, she never would. The young au pair was hired in place to take care of the two children of the manor, Miles, nine, and Flora, seven, who recently lost both of their parents overseas in a tragic shipwreck. Peter Quint, the right-hand man of Henry Wingrave, the children's uncle, was immediately taken by the new au pair, What have I gotten myself into exactly, Rebecca would ask. Well, the children are clever, if a bit strange. Boy is a bit of a dark horse, and the girl, she talks to wallpaper. I mean, after all they've been through, I mean, their parents didn't come home. That's all. They don't comprehend much beyond that. The two children immediately took a liking to Miss Rebecca Jessel. Let me guess, you ought to be our very own Mary Poppins, Flora asked. Well, I'm not practically perfect, but I am perfectly splendid. One night, as the young au pair was putting the children to bed, Peter came into the room. I'm here for an errand for Sir Henry, and well, I found these. And I thought flowers, this beautiful, deserve a beautiful woman. So, these are for you, Flora. No one's ever given me flowers before, and I thought they were for Miss Jessel. I was so dreadfully jealous. Well, we can share. Can't we, Flora? Peter said. The old pair and Flora went to go put their newly blooming flowers into a vase. You didn't rip up Jamie's garden, did you? She'll be cross if you did. Miles, the young boy's mind worried. Ugh, that gardener was born cross. Do you know what life is really all about? Peter asked. Not flowers, no, keys. See, people are like locked rooms. They've all got different locks and you gotta guess the shape of the key. Like how there are keys to all the doors in this pointlessly, excessively large house. Different keys for different rooms, so if you want someone to open the door, you have to try different keys until you find one that works. Like, people like your uncle. His key is money, or flattery. For horses, it's carrots, and for women, most of them, it's flowers. Then why did you give the flowers to Flora? Miles asked. I didn't. That night, there was a harsh storm that came over the manor. Peter was not looking forward to going out into the storm, so Rebecca asked Peter to join her for some tea. The two got to talking about how Rebecca was nestling into her new lifestyle. The kids are very sweet, even if I'm mopping up their muddy footprints sometimes, twice now that they snuck out in the middle of the night. I spent this morning cleaning vomit off of the boy's jumper, she giggled. I'm sorry, that's not funny, Peter said coldly. One like you, as smart as you are. well. It's offensive, even. Surely that's not what you wanted. I mean, I can't imagine a young Rebecca Jessel looking out her window dreaming up at the sky that someday she'd be scrubbing up some rich kid's puke. You're too good for that. Too good and and too smart. I don't care if Henry can't see it. I can. He's too busy drinking himself into a coma than to actually be aware. Tell me what you want. I mean, everybody wants something in life, and somehow our betters have convinced us that's a bad thing. So what do you want, Rebecca? For the first time in her life, she felt seen and understood. She felt found. She told him of the many dreams that she craved beyond the manor, to one day be recognized for her mind and not for her beauty. I see you, Rebecca. I see you. I should go, but thank you for the company and the conversation. I don't know why, but I feel hopeful, he said, grabbing her hand. And that doesn't happen often, not to me. Good night, Rebecca Jessel. Good night, Peter Quint. As time went by, the relationship grew closer. The townspeople would even say they looked like Bonnie and Clyde, partners until the end. This would be true if Clyde betrayed Bonnie in the end. The wrong kind of love can mess you up, follow you, make you do some really stupid things. And those two, believe me, that was the wrong kind of love. He twisted himself into her, barrowed and deep, I don't know why so many people mix up love and possession, but guess what that means? He didn't just trap her, he trapped himself. We jump forward now to a future evening in the wing of the manor where the deceased parents once lived, a wing of the manor which was off-limits to all besides the housekeeper. Why do the children keep tracking mud in here? They shouldn't be in here at all. We shouldn't be in here. It's fine, Peter said, stopping Rebecca's concern. Do you trust me? I trust you. Peter began to give Rebecca some of Lady Wingrave's clothes, necklaces, rings. I, I don't understand, Rebecca said, holding these lovely linens. It's one of my projects. Inventory for this wing. There's a few things going to auction, but Henry said that this was yours if you want it. He didn't. He did. I'm persuasive when I need to be. Let me show you how beautiful you are. He began to take pictures of Rebecca and the new furs and jewels that now decorate her beauty. The two totally engrossed, not noticing the entrance of Hannah, the housekeeper. Excuse me, the children, Rebecca, are on the lawn by themselves. Rebecca ran off to tend to the children, apologizing with each step she took. This wing is off limits. Careful, Hannah. I could have you- Have what? Had me fired? Oh, I know that very well, Peter. You've got Henry's ear. You could have the lot of us out of here if you truly wanted. Do you know what? Right now, I do not care. And if I ever find you again in here going through Lady Charlotte's things, I will drag you out of this house by your bloody ear and throw you into that dirty lake. Do you understand me? Peter did not enjoy receiving the scolding from someone he felt was beneath him. Later that night, Owen, the chef of the house, was baking a cake for dinner. In a debate to decide which flavor... The bowl was taken to each of the guests of the Bly Manor, Hannah, the housekeeper, Jamie, the gardener, Flora and Miles, the children, and Peter and Rebecca. It had seemed to be an all good fun, to everyone, except for one. After dinner, Peter began to pack his bags to leave Bly Manor, a place in which he had started to take more and more residence in. As he packed, Rebecca tried to understand the reasoning for this early departure, Peter began to get angry with Rebecca, telling her that she would be fine, she can stay and flirt with the chef, and why would he want to take part in that? As much as Rebecca tried to explain that this was all in innocence and fun, and that everyone took part in this, Peter would not have it. Do you have any idea what you look like? You said you wanted to be taken seriously, you took this job because you didn't want men looking at you or wanting your beauty, but you just open up when you're told, is that it? Rebecca was in shock. You. You misunderstand. You're naive when you want to be. That's good to know. Peter slammed the door and off he went to London. After a few days, Peter had called to reconcile with Miss Jessel. She made it very clear that he was never to speak to her that way again. He profusely apologized and agreed. He then said to pack a bag because he was going to take her to America to start on her path towards her dreams. She just needed to be ready with the bag. And Rebecca, in love, was charmed by this plan of adventure and spontaneity. So she expected any day for that moment to come. A few days went by and and nothing. Then a few more. Then a few weeks. Rebecca began to sink, not literally of course, but she seemed to lose more and more of her light each day that went by. It came to turn out that Peter had run off with more than just Miss Rebecca Jessel's heart. He ran off with many of the family heirlooms as well. When the police came to ask Rebecca if she knew of a plan, she was unaware that he had taken such treasure from the manor, believing that there must be a different explanation. There's no way that he would leave me behind, she cried. He wouldn't run away. When the officers left, the two children, Flora and Miles, came down the stairs quietly to comfort Miss Jessel. Flora and I listened from the stairs. You're right. He didn't run away. We told Hannah and the policeman, but they didn't believe us. Didn't believe what, Miles? Rebecca asked, wiping away her tears. About the monster that took him. And it was awful. And we thought he was... But he's still here, so it's actually all right. He told me to tell you not to worry. Rebecca was puzzled, but she took the comfort of the children. In the days that followed, Rebecca Jessel's light was completely gone. She would walk around Bly Manor, her dreams seemingly stolen by Peter Quint, in his escape from Bly Manor. The others would tell her, Your moment is here. It's, it's what you've been waiting for, but you're too busy moping around to see it. Talk to Henry. Get back on your track. Get back to whatever goal it was before you even knew what a Peter Quint was. She knew that they were correct in their words. So, she decided to boost up what confidence and motivation she had left intact. That night, as she was getting ready for her bed, seemingly found a new spark to get her back on track, she came into her room to find Peter Quint standing in the corner. She began to yell at him and and voice her frustrations for leaving her for turning her into an accomplice in his thievery. He began to explain that it wasn't like that. I wouldn't leave without you, and I won't leave without you now. That's why I'm here. I'm sorry. There's only one thing that would keep me from you. Hold out your hand. Reluctantly, she did hold out her hand, resisting the urge to strike him across the face for the anger that she was feeling towards him. But when Peter reached for her, his hand, like fog, went through, making no contact. He began to explain his encounter with the Lady of the Lake. This was the monster that the children had seen. The day that Peter was making his plans to escape with Rebecca, he was in the room, robbing the chests and drawers and closets of the late Mr. and Mrs. Windgrave, the same room that Viola, the Lady of the Lake, once took residence in before. The same Viola that would wake and walk, taking anyone who was unfortunate enough to be found in her gravitational path. As Peter was walking out of the room, stolen goods in hand, he found his neck in the grasp of Viola. Viola would sleep and forget, took Peter Quint back to her manor, the lake, leaving his soul in the Bly Manor gravity trap that Viola's rage had created. What if we still do it? What if we went to America and people can think I'm a batty old witch who talks to thin air, but at least we can be together, Rebecca said, and hope that this terrible news may have a happy ending. I can't leave Bly. I walk and and I run, and the moment, the, the moment I reach the edge of the property, I'm right back here inside, right on the spot where it happened. It's not fair, she said. I do have a plan. If it works, it could last forever. It would be the two of us sharing a life. It's simple. I I think a lot simpler than you think, but it just boils down to you. it's, It's up to you. Do you trust me? Rebecca, a bright young thing, ambitious, intelligent, kind of heart, who now felt so empty, so broken because of this man, which is really the only thing that can bring down a woman like that. And it did. Charmed by Peter, she trusted him. So she uttered her last living words. It's you, it's me, it's us. Now, dear listener, we jump forward another year. Danny Clayton, a teacher, was by choice a solitary young woman. Come up to London in trepidation to answer in person an advertisement, placed by one Lord Henry Wingrave regarding his young nephew and niece, who were in need of an au pair. A full-time position, it said. Live-in at that. And his old family home, a great, a good place, alone in the country. Danny did not have any experience as an au pair, but she did have experience working with children in a classroom. The two children are exceptional children, but they need structure, discipline. More than ever, I fear. For Miles was sent back early from boarding school, Henry had told her. He inquired as to why she would be leaving America to become a full-time nanny here in England. Danny replied that she felt it was odd that this ad had been up for six months and no one replied to it either. No one wants the job, he said. We did find someone for a while last summer, a promising young woman that the children liked her and then she, she well, I, I suppose she died. It was her own fault, to be blunt, but her choice to be blunter, but she died on the grounds, so now no one wants to work with the small children in that huge house with their dead parents and their now dead governess, never mind the parents died abroad and never mind the governess took her own life. Danny was running away from troubles of her own back in America, so she was looking forward to a challenge to keep her mind preoccupied, for she just left an engagement to her best friend since childhood, who as hard as she tried to make it work with, it just didn't. When she told him, he became upset and neglected to see a passing truck coming right for him, killing him instantly. Burdened with the feeling that she was responsible for his death, she fled to England and accepted the job as the new au pair for Bly Manor. Danny, upon arriving to Bly Manor, was in awe of all of its beauty and met the children promptly. "'You're Miss Clayton, you must be. I told Miles you'd be so pretty. How perfectly splendid!' Flora said warmly. Flora and Danny began to walk the grounds in search of Hannah, the housekeeper, and Miles. What a gorgeous lake, Danny exclaimed. Oh, you mustn't. It really is just a smelly old pond. Flora rushed ahead. When Danny caught up to Flora, she met Miles and Hannah by the well. They all took a liking to Danny. Her first look at Bly yielded no discomfort, no foreboding. It was exactly how Henry described, a great, good place. And it yawned open to welcome her home. Flora insisted on giving Danny a tour of Bly Manor, in which every room was just perfectly splendid. She told Danny that the wing of the manor that belonged to their late parents was off-limits, and she was not to go there. No one was. That night, as she was tucking the children into bed, she talked with Miles about how hard boarding school must have been for him, and how she would be able to talk with him about anything, to choose someone like Flora to keep close, To Flora, she thanked her for making her feel so welcome. It's just lovely that you're here. You have to promise me something. It's a promise that you'll have to stay in your room. Don't leave your room at night. Stay in your bed until morning. I don't think I can promise that, but it's certainly a good rule for you and your brother, Danny replied. But you must at least for tonight. Danny agreed and she returned to her chamber. The night found the pair restless. It was as Flora had said perfectly splendid. The rooms were larger at night, as if the house itself had inhaled deeply as the sun disappeared, expanding as it held its breath for the morning. That sense of expansion wasn't only indoors, either. Gazing out, she found that the terrace and the whole place, the lawn and the garden beyond it, and all she could see of the park were empty, with a great emptiness, an emptiness that called out to be explored. The next morning, Danny joined the children in the garden before breakfast. I'm very cross with you, Flora said. You left your room last night even though you promised you wouldn't. Danny questioned how Flora would have known this. You've got to stay in your room so she doesn't see you, Miles told her. Who? The lady. The lady in the lake. I've been a teacher for nine years, Miles. That's almost your whole life. In all that time, a lot of kids have tried to scare me in a lot of different ways. I know what I learned. I'm a lot braver than most people think, including me. I wasn't trying to scare you, Miss Clayton. I knew you wouldn't be frightened. Is this something you used to do at school? Play pranks or tricks? Your uncle told me a little bit about your problems at boarding school. You spoke with our uncle? Well, of course, he hired me. Did he ask about us? The two children looked eager as to what Danny would say next. The au pair's heart felt for the boy's pain. But like the weather at Bly, his moods proved quickly to change. As sun clouds and rain would appear without hint or warning, so too did the children's moods, as though time and nature held secret laws just for them. He misses you very much, she said, ushering the children into the kitchen for breakfast. Upon entering the house, Danny noticed that there was a man standing on the balcony in the wing where the parents once lived. She brushed it off as it was probably just another blind guess that she had not met, so she waved hello, but he did not wave back. Danny, the children, the housekeeper Hannah, and Owen, the chef, all enjoyed a delicious welcome breakfast for Danny. As they were eating, Jamie, the gardener, came into the kitchen as well. The gardener did not introduce herself to the new au pair. She barely acknowledged her at all, simply treated her as if she always been there. The others in the room just assumed they had already met, which, if she were honest, was how the au pair felt when she first saw the young woman. Was there somebody working on the grounds today? maybe a a repairman or something, because I saw a guy in the west wing on my way in. I've not been up there, Owen said. Are you sure you saw someone up there? Absolutely. I, I waved. He didn't wave back, Danny replied. Well, sometimes we get ramblers or people who want to have a look at the gardens, but they can't get up there, not without going through the house. That's the only way to the wing. Danny told herself that she must have just been imagining things a conversation that she would start to have more and more with herself as time went on at Bly Manor. She told the children to go get ready for the day, and tended to cleaning the kitchen with Hannah. Danny told her of Flora's insistence that Danny stay in her room. Hannah laughed and smiled. Well, you can't judge them, not after what they've been through. Henry told you about their parents, I'm sure. Two years ago now. Miles was only eight and Flora was six. And that's enough bad luck for two children to bear, but... Then to think of what came after. Your predecessor, Rebecca Jessel. (sighs) Rebecca. She was a bright young thing. She was ambitious and intelligent. But there was a man, which really is the only thing that can bring down a woman like that. All the world's vices in disguise of its graces. Anyway, the the less said about him, the better. You know, he he skipped town with a a tidy sum of Henry's money. And the poor thing's heart stole a lot, that one. And to see her in the days leading up to it, so broken, so empty, she was gone long before she waded into that lake. Flora found her, and Jamie found Flora. (sighs) To hear Jamie tell it, Flora just stone-still staring. And to think I used to cringe when I hear children running to the house, screaming and kicking up a fuss. But in the weeks after, there was just silence and it never felt so terrible. So this could just be a tiny game of Flora's to keep us all safe. I think both of them are trying in their own way, I think. Later that night, Danny began to tuck the children into bed. Miles requested that Danny would grab a fan from Flora's closet for both of them, telling Danny that he would not be able to sleep without it. Danny walked into the closet, but she was immediately locked in. Banging on the door, yelling at the children to let her out, they said that they were sorry and they don't know how to unlock the door and it won't work, forcing Danny to spend the night in the dark closet, and was let out in the early morning by the children who had apologized saying that the door was stuck. She forgave them, but she did not believe them. She made them clean the muddy footprints that tracked through the manor. Hannah, the housekeeper, was no stranger to muddy footprints. For a few times a year, it seems, she started her days with the mop, always the same path from the door to the forbidden wing and back again. Exhausted, Danny went to retire to her bedroom for there's no room for her to escape her past in that tiny closet. Jamie, the gardener, noticed this about the au pair and came in to talk with her, to try and comfort her. That's why I prefer plants, easy to get along with. And if I find one that I don't like or one looks at me kind of funny, I can always just Jamie clicked her tongue and made a clipping motion with her hands. Danny laughed, but it was still apparent she was struggling. I cry three, maybe four times a day around here. Five, if I'm being really honest with myself. How, how else do you think I keep all these plants watered? With my endless well of deep inconsolable tears, that's how I got the job in the first place. Look, you're doing a great job. You're doing great. So, chin up, Poppins. Danny smiled and watched as Jamie made her way back to the garden. Poppins, she thought. Practically perfect. The next day came, and a guest knocked on Danny's door. "'Miss Clayton?' Miles asked quietly. "'I'd like to apologize for all of it. "'For locking you in the wardrobe closet, for for the mess in the hall, all of it. "'But most importantly, for being such a child about it. "'Being around Flora I sometimes forget myself. I, "'I think Flora just misses Miss Jessel terribly, "'so we play little games to keep her from feeling sad. "'Such a draining thing, dealing with children.' Miles apologized with some flowers and went back on his way to his room. Just as Miles left, an angry Jamie came up the stairs yelling about how Miles had just cut up some flowers from the garden, fuming that there's a certain way that she likes to do things, but Danny was able to calm her down, just as Jamie had done once for her. Danny felt as if she had gotten off on the wrong foot with the children, so she tried to lighten the mood by playing a game before bed. The children said that they would play hide-and-seek, but no one was allowed to go into the west wing. As they were playing, Danny was counting. She could hear footsteps running towards the west wing, immediately stopping and opening her eyes. She saw Miles, so she ran after him. But he was not there. Instead, she saw a man out on the balcony. The man being Peter Quint. As she began to rush downstairs, she bumped into Miles on the west wing, told her that he didn't feel well, and passed out. Danny called the police to do a search, but they found nothing. No sign of any man outside of any window. No footprints. Danny, the courageous woman that she was, decided to do a sweep of her own, running into Jamie who was also doing a sweep of her own. The pair began to walk around Bly Manor, Jamie telling how Rebecca and Peter were in love, the wrong kind of love. We've all been in the wrong kind of love, for one reason or another. He got away, she paid the price, and now I guess he's stalking a dead woman, risking prison for someone he didn't even bother to bring along, it it doesn't make sense. I hope she haunts that man forever," Jamie said through her teeth. Danny thought for a moment. People do, don't they? Mix up love and possession? I don't think that should be possible. I mean, they're opposites, really. Love and ownership? Danny and Jamie stared at one another in silence. A silence that was easy, and not longing to be filled with an echo of words. Just a simple pause for the two to take in a moment that they just shared. Danny quickly reached for Jamie's hand to hold only for a few seconds, then retreated quickly back to her side. "'Who would have known?' Jamie asked with a half-smile on her face. When Miles was taken to rest and made sure that he was okay, Flora was saying her goodnights to the adults, and she held a special goodnight for Owen, who had just lost his mother, and returned to Bly for familiarity and comfort. "'You're not dying, you know.' "'What do you mean, Flora?' Owen asked. When mom and dad died, I thought I was going to die too. I was sure of it. But then I thought, what if I was already dead? But nobody else knew and I was walking around dead, but everyone could see me and hear me. That was dreadful. It only felt like dying because actually I was still alive. You have to be that feel that way. I wasn't dead. I was just really, really sad. But then I learned a secret. I didn't even need to be sad anymore." Owen was holding back tears. What secret? Dead doesn't mean gone. So you don't need to be sad. Flora squeezed his hand and off she turned to go to bed. "'Hey, Flora,' Danny called out. Have you seen Peter Quint since he left? Maybe you let him into the house. Look, I'm, I'm not angry, I'd just like for you to tell me the truth." "'No, of course not. That's not how it works.' Flora said quickly, looking to the side of Danny. "'Where did you go just then?' Danny asked. Danny had noticed the children would be talking and seemed to catch a glimpse of someone or something, and then they would go somewhere. Not physically, but mentally. Flora said goodnight and went to bed. With the children to rest, the adults began to enjoy their fire, though inside it roared and filled the room with its warmth. "'Do you know in the old days,' Jamie said, "'I mean, the really old days,' They used to build giant bonfires at this time of year and talk about the people that they lost. They do offerings to drive away evil spirits, old bones, mostly. That's why it's called a bonfire. From the old English, meaning bonfire, build a pile of old bones and burn them away. The shadows, because from here on in, the shadows get deeper. The nights get longer. We're heading into the dark and we have to hang on to each other so we can only carry so much. So, anyone got any old bones to throw? Jamie looked around the quiet room, everyone hanging on to their memory. "'I'll go,' said Hannah. "'Rebecca. "'Rebecca Jessel. "'My word, it's almost been a year, but a year focused on the wrong person. "'But wherever she is, she's still worth ten of that man, who I won't say his name. "'She was brilliant. "'She was beautiful.' She was punished for it. I don't know why brilliant young women are always punished. Lord and Lady Wingrave, Jamie chimed in after. They were good people, old fashioned, kind people, and their kids really miss them. Nothing can fix that. Not ever. But here is Danny Clayton. She's a bit of a weirdo, but she's a lot stronger than she thinks. And if anyone could bring Miles and Flora back to themselves, she can. I'm glad she's here. I think they would be too. The old pair was tired. She had been tired for so long, yet without even realizing she was doing it. She found herself taking her own advice that she'd given to Miles. She chose someone to keep close to her, that she could feel tired around. Chosen someone who might help her heart burn away the shadows. Everyone cast their old bones, and then Jamie and Danny went on a walk. Danny had told Jamie about her fiancé, about how he died and how sometimes she still sees him, almost like in the way that she had seen Peter Quint. But Danny also saw Jamie. She saw Jamie in a way different than any other way she'd seen a person before. Jamie explained about how she got into gardening and how it's more than just a bunch of plants. It's so clear how people aren't worth it, but plants, you you pour your love and your effort and your nourishment into them and then you see where it goes. You watch them grow, and it all makes sense. So, yeah, everyone is exhaustive. Even the best ones, but sometimes, once in a blue moon, I guess someone, like a moonflower, just might be worth the effort. Look, I know you're struggling and you're carrying this guilt around, but I also know that you don't decide who lives and who doesn't. I'm sorry, Danny, but you don't. Humans are organic, it's a fact, we're we're meant to die, it's natural. It's beautiful and it all breaks down and and back up and and breaks down again. And every living thing goes out of every dying thing. We leave more life behind us to take our place. That life refreshes and recycles and on and on it goes. Danny was taken back, and she knew what she wanted to do. Danny tried to find the courage to lean in and give Jamie a kiss, but she struggled. And Jamie, not wanting to push Danny, said, "'Let's get back. Maybe maybe another night or an- another time.'" What the gardener didn't yet understand was what the au pair had been telling herself, to wait another night, another time, for years and years. So Danny, deciding to no longer run away and forge a new path, kissed Jamie for the first time. As the two were walking back into the manor, a tired Flora was standing in the hallway, explaining that she must have been sleepwalking, tucked away in a memory. This has been happening for both of the children for quite some time. Jamie said goodnight and promised to many more nights of walks with Danny, and off she went back to her home off of the Bly residence. Danny walked Flora up to her room, but Flora took off running towards the attic. Danny ran off yelling at Flora to come back, but as soon as she stepped foot into the attic, she was knocked out. Danny found herself tied up with a tiny Miles and Flora standing over her, and, on the side, a Peter Quint and Rebecca Jessel. You see, Peter Quint discovered that when he died, he could take control of the living only for brief moments at a time. So his plan for him and Rebecca to share a life together was not what she had intended. Peter took control of Rebecca's body, placing her into a memory. He called this tucked away. When doing so, the living don't have any control or feeling of their body. So it was Peter. Who took a tucked away Rebecca into the lake and drowned her, so he could have her and share a life with her, but trapping her at Bly Manor forever. Peter and Rebecca both found this new ability and could do the same with Miles and Flora. Every moment where Miles was inappropriate or rude or cut things from Jamie's garden, it was actually Peter Quint. Miles was tucked away in a dream, Flora too. Peter then hatched a new plan in the children's minds, a solution for them, to be with their parents again forever to allow Peter and Rebecca to take full control of their bodies to leave Bly Manor, that the children's souls could be permanently tucked away with their parents. No pain, no sadness, no discomfort, Peter had told them. The children were hesitant about this and did not want their new au pair to be harmed. Peter promised that no harm would come to Danny, but that they needed to start their game, which he had called jailbreak, now before they start to fade, like the woman in the attic who would cry out for help. The small child that was drowned at the lake that would play with Flora and move the dolls in her house, letting her know where everyone was. Like the monster, Viola, who was keeping them all trapped. Who Flora and Miles tried so hard to keep Danny safe from by locking her in a closet as to keep her out of the path, or making promises for Danny to stay in her bedroom, all in hopes that Danny would be safe from the lady of the lake. You wouldn't want us to end up like them, right? You can save us, Peter told the kids. You promise this is a good idea, Flora asked Miss Jessel. Flora, I, I know it's scary, but we're out of time, she replied. Danny began to cry and tried to scream, but her mouth was covered in cloth. You have nothing to worry about, Peter said. You're going to be tucked away in the Forever House with your loving mom and dad, just like we talked about. Now, both of you, as hard as you can, think it's you. Think it's me think it's us." Danny screamed and screamed and fought and fought to break free of her ties. But she was too late. The two children were tucked away, now just the bodies of Miles and Flora, but with the spirits of Peter and Rebecca. Can I trust you to take care of this one, Rebecca? To just stop her screaming? I've, I've got something to show, Hannah, Peter said. Of course, Rebecca replied. So off Peter went, now in control of Miles' body. He asked Hannah, the housekeeper, to come with him to see something. He took her to the well, which, if you remember, is the first place that Danny met these two. On the day that Danny arrived, Miles was tucked away by Peter, who shoved Hannah down the well, killing her for distrusting and scolding him. Hannah's spirit was walking around Bly Manor not knowing she was dead or, or, perhaps, refusing to accept it. Now, she had been shown the truth. Meanwhile, Flora, or rather Rebecca Jessel, was left with the task of taking care of Danny. Rebecca and Flora's body walked towards Danny reaching out her hand, and Danny shuddered and closed her eyes waiting for her fate. It was then when she was untied. How did I do? Flora asked. You did very, very well, Rebecca replied. You see, Rebecca told Flora to only pretend to be tucked away. She told Flora what to say and what to do. I still don't understand. I I thought we were playing a game and I thought you needed my help. No, Flora. No one should ever need that much help, not from anyone else," Rebecca replied. Rebecca told Danny that it was too late for Miles and that she needed to get Flora out of this place as fast as she could to anywhere else. Danny took Flora in hand and began to run. Flora, screaming and crying and dragging behind, tried to get her brother. But Danny knew there was nothing she could do. She burst through the front doors of the manor with the flailing Flora grasped in her hand. She tried to quiet Flora and tried to explain by turning to her but it proved no use. So, Danny knew she had to continue to drag Flora with her, turning back around with Flora in hand and charging right into the grasp of the Lady of the Lake. The grip from Viola's hand was so strong that Danny was carried in air. Unable to free herself from her grasp, Flora screamed, for she knew what fate now lied ahead for Danny. As Viola was making her usual walk through Bly Manor, with Danny in hand and leaving her muddy footprints from the entrance to the West Wing, Flora decided that Danny was worth this much help. Flora ran to her parents' old room, the same room in which Viola was waiting to see her daughter. Now, as you know, Viola faded, her soul and her mind. Entering the room, her hands strangling Danny, released. For there, on the bed, she saw Flora. Surely this must be the child that Viola would wake and walk and expect to see. Viola took Flora and carried her out of the manor and started her way back into the lake to sleep and to fade. Danny, gasping for air and breath, was unable to move and was rendered helpless. Rebecca Jessel also knew that there was nothing that she could do to stop Viola. It's okay. You won't feel it, okay? I'll just feel it for you. I'll just tuck you away one last time. Go ahead, love. You let me handle this part. Flora, now starting to feel the coldness of the water on her feet, let Rebecca in. It's you. It's me. It's us. Flora was tucked away in a memory in her mother's arms, and Rebecca Jessel was feeling the coldness of the lake climb up Flora's body. Danny, finally able to grab control of herself to escape the manor, saw Flora and Viola waist-deep walking further into the lake. Soon, Flora would find herself endlessly dream-hopping, and it would have all gone that way, had it not been the au pair in that critical moment said what she had said. Something she did not entirely understand, but something she felt in her bones. She had to try. It's you. It's me. It's us. The au pair invited Viola into herself, and the invitation had been accepted in an instant. The spell that Viola had cast over Bly had been broken, and all the spirits trapped in her gravity, released. Jamie who had come back to Bly Manor on an account of a terrible dream she had quickly raced to join a now conscious Flora for Rebecca was able to leave where a conscious Miles would not be able to join now that Peter Quint has left as well and our au pair, who had chosen a new path for herself. The next day, Owen the chef assisted five men from town by gently lifting the housekeeper's body from the well It was assumed she died accidentally, an unfortunate stumble. He stayed at her side until she was buried, and he loved her the whole way, I am told. And I believe that he loves her still. In the days that followed, a calm settled over Bly Manor. For the first time in centuries, the very air was different, lighter. All that had once been trapped on the grounds was now gone to some other place. Danny decided that she would now leave the manor now that the Uncle Henry had returned and decided to care for the children after a much-needed change of character and heart. Upon packing up, Jamie noticed that Danny was still. What's wrong, Poppins? she asked. I don't know. I feel her inside of me. It's so quiet. It's so quiet. But she's in here. And this part of her that's in here. It isn't peaceful. It's quiet, but it isn't peaceful. It's rage, and I have this feeling like I'm walking through this dense, overgrown jungle, and I can't really see anything except the path in front of me. But I know there's this thing hidden, this angry, empty, lonely beast. It's its watching me, matching my movements. It's, it's just out of sight, but I, I can feel it, I know it's there, and it's waiting. She's waiting, at some point she's going to take me. Do you want company while you wait for your beast in the jungle?" Jamie would ask. Danny sniffled and sighed. Jamie said, Well, then you've got company. The two said their goodbyes to the children and off they went to America. Jamie would talk about what she would want to see in the States and how she would like to spend Christmas. But Danny told her, I don't think we should plan for Christmas. It was a ways away and I just want to take it one day at a time, she would say. One day at a time is fine by me. As long as those days are with you, Poppins. One day at a time is what we've got. It's what everybody's got when you get down to it. The days turned to months to months, to more. Before the au pair knew it, a year had passed. A A trip around the sun, and she was still here. She was still her. I've got a problem. Or rather, we've got a problem, Poppins, Jamie said. I'm not sick of you at all. Actually, I'm pretty in love with you, it turns out. One year became two, and from two spread into an endless time. So it seemed three... Four, five years passed, and it was peace at long last, deep within the au pair's heart. There was peace, which is more than some of us ever get. Then, Danny decided a new path would be forged. Here's the thing, Danny said. You're my best friend and the love of my life. And I don't know how much time we have left. However much it is, I want to spend it with you. I know we can't technically get married, but I also don't really care. We can wear the rings, and we will know. Okay, and that's enough for me if it's enough for you. And so, the two were wed. Over the years, they would keep in contact with Owen, the chef, reminiscing about Hannah and the stories that they loved about her. Danny asked if the children ever talked about anything as they have grown. It's interesting, though, that the way that they talk about Bly, Owen said, they don't remember anything about it. they just forgotten it all. They know they used to stay at Bly when they were children, so... They recognize Hannah's pictures, but the details, the specific moments, the fear of it all that we were so afraid would infect the rest of their lives has just faded away. And all that's left is the shape of it with their home that they used to live when they were children. Everything seemed right in the world. Until one day, as Danny was doing the dishes, she saw the Lady of the Lake in the reflection. I saw her. She's there. I I keep seeing her. We don't know what this means, Jamie said. We can have so many more years together. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it and it'll be fine, okay? It's gonna be okay. I'll do the washing up from now on and you're bad at it anyways. A few weeks went by and Jamie returned home to see Danny staring into an overflowing tub in a trance-like state. I'm so tired. It's like every day I feel myself fading away, but I'm still here and I don't really understand how that is. It's like I see you right in front of me and I feel you touching me and every day we're living our lives and I'm aware of that. And it's like I don't feel it all the way. I'm not even scared of her anymore. I just stare at her and it's getting harder and harder to see me. Maybe I should just accept that. Maybe I should just accept that and go, no. Jamie replied sternly. Not yet. If you can't feel anything, then I'll feel everything for the both of us. But no one is going anywhere, okay? You're still here, one day at a time. And so, they took it one day at a time. And it worked. And it worked. Until it couldn't anymore. Danny woke up in the middle of the night, hands in place, ready to strangle Jamie. Unaware and frightened that this almost happened. The au pair knew the moment had come. The beast had looked indeed. And the beast, at its hour, had sprung. And she could not risk the most important thing, the most important person not for one more day. And so, the gardener found herself back at Bly Manor one last time. Upon reading a note that Danny had left, she rushed again into the cold, muddy lake and saw the love of her life resting in her final home. The gardener said the words that she heard those years ago and she said it with everything she had. It's you. It's me. It's us. Take me with you, her heart had cried. Drag me down like you did the others. But the lady in the lake was different now. The lady in the lake was also Danny. And Danny would never, in fact, no one would ever be taken again. And no one has been taken to this day. For the rest of her days, the gardener would gaze into reflections, hoping to see her face, her own lady in the lake. She'd leave her door open at night just a crack, should she ever come back, waiting for her lover to return. Years would go by, and as she slept underneath the water, the au pair's memories would fade. Like Viola before her, like the children, she too would forget her past. She would know nothing of the gardener, nothing of their life together. The details, the specific moments would all fade away. More time will pass, and the water will wash away the delicate features of her, of her beautiful, perfect face. But she won't be hollow, nor empty, and she won't pull others to her fate. She will merely walk the grounds of Bly, harmless as a dove, for all of her days, leaving the only trace of who she once was in the memory the woman who loved her most. (laughs) So that is the story of Blind Manor. I think we're about at 50 minutes here, and I'm crying too hard to even go on, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please let me know, because I put in a lot of work for it and a lot of heart. If you hated it, just please keep silent about it. Don't ever tell me. Let it fade away to existence. But if you did like it, please let me know. It would be nice to hear. I'll just leave you guys with one last quote from this story because it just does show the difference between possession versus love and people do get it mixed up. But one of the quotes I wanted to somehow intertwine in here, but I couldn't, is just this. You shouldn't be thinking of losing each other at all. Don't let that hang over your happiness right now. Enjoy that easy silence with them because it's rare what you've got. But." When the time does come, it'll be hard every day, and it won't get easier. But eventually, after some time, you'll find little moments, little pieces of your life that remind you of them. And they'll be silly and dumb, or they'll be sad and you'll cry for hours. But they will still be a piece of them, and you'll hold them tight. It'll be like they're there with you, even though they're gone. Okay, (laughs) that's it. I need to go to bed and I need to stop crying. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this way and you did enjoy it, please let me know. I would appreciate it. And I will catch you guys for a happier episode next week on Echo Talk. Bye.